Welcome to Truth Matters with Terry McCarthy. This is Wednesday, June 3rd. Thank you for joining me for today's podcast. Because truth matters and facts matter and data should matter, I am focusing today on the concept that racism is left over from the days of slavery in the United States. So let's get started. Many Americans believe that racism is a leftover response or heldover response to slavery. You see, slaves came as human cargo transported on tall British ships bound for the Americas. They were shipped by the hundreds of thousands and included men, women, and even the youngest of children. Whenever they rebelled or slightly disobeyed, they were punished in the harshest ways. Ship captains would hang their human property by their hands and brand their feet with hot irons as a form of punishment. Some were burned alive or had their heads placed on spikes on the sides of the ship as a warning to others, do not disobey. I don't really need to go through all of the insidious details. I think we are all too familiar with the atrocities of the American slave trade. The human excrement, vomit, and filth covering the hull of the ship where they were chained together, unable to move or even breathe. Once in the Americas, they were sold to the highest bidder. Girls as young as 12 years old were sold to brothels and sentenced to a life of predatory abuse and harm. Families separated. They were mocked, stripped, beaten, and chained. We've all heard the stories. We've all seen Roots. But this story is different. Why? Because what I just described here was not the African slave trade, but the Irish. Yep, the Irish. In fact, at one point in history, Irish slaves outnumbered African slaves two to one. Shocking, isn't it? King James II and Charles I led a continued effort to enslave the Irish. Britain's famed Oliver Cromwell promoted this practice of selling the Irish to allow Britain a better stronghold on Ireland and enable British noblemen to take Irish land. The Irish slave trade began when James II sold 30,000 Irish slaves to the New World. His proclamation of 1625 required Irish slaves to be sent overseas and sold to English settlers in the West Indies. By the 1600s, the Irish were the main slaves sold to Antigua and the Lee Islands Montserrat in the Caribbean. At that time, 70% of the total population of Montserrat were Irish slaves. Ireland quickly became the biggest source of human livestock for English merchants. The majority of the early slaves to the New World were actually white Irish men, women, and children. In fact, In 1641, over 500,000 Irish were killed by the English and another 300,000 were sold as slaves, put on slave ships, and sent to the colonies. Ireland's population fell from 1.5 million people to 600,000 in less than a decade. Families were ripped apart as the British took the men and only healthy young women with them across the Atlantic. This led to a helpless population of homeless women and children. Britain's solution to these widows and orphans, they decided to auction them off as well, and if they didn't make it across the sea, they tossed the bodies overboard. 
By 1652, a 100,000 Irish children between the ages of 10 and 14 were taken from Ireland and sold as slaves in Virginia and New England. At the same time, 52,000 Irish, mostly women and children, were sold to Barbados to work on plantations. In 1656, Oliver Cromwell raided across Ireland and rounded up 32,000 Irish men, women, and children to be taken to Jamaica and sold to the highest bidders in the English settlement there. There were no crimes committed by these people, no debts to be paid. There was no rebellious leaders. They just rounded them up in the countryside, put them on ships, and sold them. Most liberals and left-wing leaders refused to call these Irish slaves. They'll call them things like indentured servants or bond servants to describe what happened to the Irish. But that's a lie. In most cases from the 17th and 18th centuries, Irish slaves were nothing more than human cattle. But white people, as slaves, doesn't fit well into their racist narratives. But these Irish were indeed slaves shackled, beaten, treated like animals, and owned until death. As an example, the African slave trade was just beginning during this time period. It wasn't until the 1770s that Africans even reached the shores of the New World. Vermont, concerned about the slave trade after watching the Irish, abolished all slavery in 1777. It is well recorded that African slaves soon were more in demand than the Irish. Thus, they became more expensive because of their strength, better health, and more easily recognized as slaves because of their skin color. Oddly, when the Irish, for example, if a planter whipped or beat an Irish slave to death, it was not a crime, but the owners would charge the planter if a black slave was killed and demand payment for the loss of property. Slave owners were legally allowed to keep the children of slaves, and those children were slaves too. In time, the slave owners used Irish women to increase their market share. The settlers began to breed Irish women and girls with African men to produce slaves with a distinct complexion. These were called mulatto slaves, and they brought a higher price than the Irish. This practice of interbreeding Irish females with African men went on for several decades and was so widespread that in 1781, legislation was passed forbidding the practice of mating Irish slave women to African slave men for the purpose of producing slaves for sale. In short, it was stopped only because it interfered with the profits of large slave transport companies and interfered with supply and demand. England continued to ship tens of thousands of Irish slaves for more than a century. Records state that after the 1798 Irish Rebellion, thousands of Irish slaves were sold to America and Australia. There were horrible abuses of both African and Irish captives. One British ship even dumped over a thousand Irish slaves into the Atlantic Ocean because of food shortage and fear the crew wouldn't have enough to eat. There is little question that the Irish experienced the horrors of slavery as much as the Africans did. At the peak of African slavery in 1860, the southern states had 3.9 million African slaves, according to the U.S. Census taken that year. 
The free population of the South at the time was just over 9 million non-slave whites. This is the total of the Confederate States of America, an illegal secession of 11 slaveholding states. Records show that less than 5% of the total free whites in the South had slaves. That means that out of a population of 9 million people, about 400,000 households were actual slave owners. The census reports 360,000 white Southerners owned African slaves. That's shocking, but here's something even more shocking. According to African-American historian Carter G. Woodson, in 1830, nearly 4,000 free blacks migrated south from the north to purchase land and slaves. Yes, they purchased 3,776 3,776 freed blacks owned 13,000 African slaves, and by 1860, that slave ownership increased to over 20,000 slaves owned and held by free African Americans. And if we move to the Native American population, the five civilized tribes all held black slaves. In fact, their total slave population was nearly 20,000 of, excuse me, nearly 20% of their total population. They owned over 8,000 African American slaves. And even more shocking, after Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation made slavery illegal in the United States, the five civilized tribes did not free their slaves until the 1930s as they were their own autonomous government and did not recognize the U.S. federal government's dictate that slavery was illegal. These are the things our public schools stopped teaching in the name of political correctness. This is a part of history no one is talking about today because it does not fit into the false narrative that slavery was epidemic in the U.S. and that all whites own black slaves and that slavery is the cause of racism. And the Jim Crow laws, which by the way were abolished in 1963, Jim Crow laws were southern state laws that enforced racial segregation in the South. All were enacted in the, near, in the early 20th centuries by white Democratic-dominated state legislatures to disenfranchise and remove political and economic gains made by blacks during the Reconstruction period after the Civil War. The federal government opposed them, and eventually the federal government came in and usurped the state's authority and abolished all Jim Crow laws. But the Irish were treated and maligned just as badly. Newspaper ads across the United States, not just in the South, were allowed to print Irish need not apply in employment notices. Because of their Catholic religion and their low literacy rates, Irish were treated like dogs as non-Irish Americans stereotyped them as drunkards, fools, and mentally disabled. In fact, one New York newspaper printed a cartoon of an Irishman baboon calling him a Celtic ape. Irish not allowed, Irish not permitted, no Irish was posted on everything from apartment buildings, restaurants, to public parks. 
At least with the Jim Crow laws, blacks in the South could move north to escape the painful and ridiculous discrimination. Unfortunately for the Irish, there was nowhere to run. There was nowhere to hide. Irish Catholic priests were defrocked and chased through the streets. When caught, they were tarred and feathered. Oftentimes, the hot tar would suffocate the skin, and many died as a result. Catholic churches were burned. Boarding houses that allowed Irish were burned to the ground. In one report in Baltimore, the writer declared, It looks as if the entire city is on fire. Damn those bloody Irish. And lynching? From 1882 to 1962, over 1,300 Irish were lynched in the United States. Over 73% of those took place in the South. One news reporter stated in Philadelphia, These people are not like the industrious Protestant Scottish immigrants or the hardworking German farmers who came to America in large numbers during the colonial era, fought in the Continental Army, and tamed the frontier. These people are not only poor, they're unskilled, they're diseased, illiterates, huddled in rickety tenements. It's worse. They're Catholic. America like most nations, has sinned against its own. There's no doubt that slavery is a horrible crime against humanity. Prejudice in all its forms is an abomination. All people are created in God's image, and he has written each person's name on the palm of his hands. But what makes America good? One thing is that white men fought white men to end slavery. Brother against brother. Men gave their lives so that slaves could be free. And if you think the Civil War was fought for any reason other than slavery, you've been lied to. Slavery was the issue, and white men fought to end it. And those Jim Crow laws? Whites joined hand in hand with their black brothers and sisters to stop the insidious laws of less than a dozen southern states, all Democrat-held, all Democrat-led. It's astonishing to me that 50 years later, the enormous sacrifices, the enormous bravery, and the enormous courage of ordinary white people in the Deep South in dealing with race issues is not recognized. According to one civil rights leader, so many people suffered, including whites, but they have been passed over by history. Doy Gorton, a civil rights activist, recalls how tense the region and the country was at the time with talk of an imminent race war how everything was going to blow up with thousands killed. That a huge conflagration was avoided, he puts down in part to local ordinary whites who helped keep the peace and stood with their brothers and sisters. Admittedly, whites who more actively pushed for civil rights typically faced economic reprisals, losing jobs or physical violence, some even paid the ultimate price, their lives. White Kansas native James Reeb, a pastor who participated in the Selma to Montgomery Civil Rights March, died in early 1965 of head injuries two days after being severely beaten by white Southern segregationists. Shortly afterwards, Viola Liozzo, an activist who had grown up in Tennessee, was murdered by members of the Ku Klux Klan in Selma. Later in the year, Jonathan Daniels, a white seminarian from New Hampshire, died when shielding a black teenager from a fired shotgun in Hanville, Alabama. It's not popular to acknowledge the sacrifice and involvement of whites in the civil rights movement of the South. 
offering a different angle on the narrative of the racist white South is contentious and prominently ignored. But like Doy Gorton once said, ending slavery and ending Jim Crow is historically accurate to say lots of white people did lots of decent things. I want to close this podcast with a story. Tomorrow we'll have a guest podcaster and I'm looking forward to his insights into racism in the United States. I think he has a unique view and his voice needs to be heard. But let me close with the story. I was shopping a while back in Dillard's. Dillard's is a big department store much like Macy's. I was passing through the high-end women's clothing when I spotted a good friend of mine shopping in the exclusive Miss Sook section. This line of clothing is something I have never been able to afford. I was getting ready to run up to her and say hello, but I watched as a female security guard in plain clothes was keeping a close eye on my black friend. This African-American friend of mine was in her 40s. I stepped back and just observed as the plainclothes security guard watched every move and never took her eyes off my friend. The guard was in her mid-50s. Like I said, she's a female. Finally, I ran up to my friend and hugged her and we chatted and I advised her on an outfit. We headed out. She headed out and I waited to see what was going to happen with the security guard. She slowly followed my black friend to the door and watched her leave. I walked up to the security guard Later, I found out she was ex-military. I told her I was offended by her scrutiny, that my friend was wealthy enough to buy the entire store, was famous, an author, a TV personality, and one of the strongest Christians I knew. I wanted to shame that guard into reality. She just calmly looked at me and said, 90% of theft in this store is done by black females. Not prejudice, just stating the facts. I'm not doing my job if I don't keep an eye on the demographics. 90%, I said. Are you exaggerating? No, ma'am, I'm not. And do you know why I believe this woman? Because the black security guard was African American. We don't have a race problem in America. We have a truth problem. We have a false narrative problem with neo-Marxist ideology that is trying to take over this nation like a creeping vine. Looks pretty at first, And the next thing you know, it's taken over the entire building and corroding the mortar. And if we don't tear it down, it's going to destroy the very fabric of our nation. This has been Truth Matters with Terry McCarthy. I'll see you tomorrow. Be sure and join me for our special podcaster. And if you like this podcast, please leave a comment or thumbs up. Please subscribe. And if you think it's good enough material... Could you suggest your friends subscribe as well? Because by sharing it, you're helping me get a broader audience. Because truth matters. It really does. See you tomorrow.